I was just having a moment. I'm getting like proper emotional. I was making a new trailer. What is it? Second, third trailer? There was like a rebrand one. So I'll probably wipe those out and then you'll just have this one. It's beautiful. Listen to me. <laughs> I was having a moment of appreciation because I was just replaying stuff that I put into the episodes, you know, like all the side stories, not all of them, it's not like the longest trail in the century, but you know, some like jokes, something to like hook people in, some side stories, me going off tangent most probably, <laughs> nothing to do with crime in those clips, but I was just like, wow, people actually listen to this, what is, like, I mean, this is either the weirdest or just the best audience of fuckers that I have here, and I was just like, wow, <laughs> Some people actually listen to this, to me telling a story of reading an essay about pissing in my dream, or just like telling you how to extend a table, or telling you a story about the garage and my friends from primary school, and you stuck around. I don't know. I, I think this is me saying thank you, maybe just having a meltdown in general. But that brings me to the story of today. So if you are the OG fucker, it's like I really need a better name for the listeners, but no, fucker it is. Also, if you know where fucker as a name for the listener comes from, let me know, because, like, it's fully inspired by a different podcast, but yeah, it's a lot popular, so the people might actually know, but it's truly appropriate to me. It's either fuckers or bitches, because that's how I call my friends, and you are all my friends. Okay, thinking about how this ties, this beginning ties to everything, listen. You might not think it does, but it always does. If you've been here since the beginning, if you're the OG fucker, you know that there was a particular episode, one of the first ones, number three actually, I vividly remember the number of it, <laughs> the one on Luigi Longhi, that didn't really have the beginning, middle and end. And we progressed a lot since then, I have found stories that had a lot to them, that had like two hours worth to them. Today is not one of those times. Like, if this episode lasts for longer than 30 minutes, it's a scam, listen to me. There's literally no information. And now I hear you. The same questions that you have asked me if you have listened to that episode. Maya, this is your podcast. Maya, why didn't you choose a different story? Maya, what the fuck? <laughs> you choose these episodes. You choose the topics. You choose the stuff that has information. No. Mama raised no quitter. <laughs> If it's in my mind, if it's something weird that I need to share with the pub, I'll find a way. I'll find a way. It might not have the end. I'm not promising you the end. I'm not really promising you the beginning. It has a bit of a middle. So just to really lower your expectations. And if you're listening here for the first time because you have listened to that trailer, please, please listen to something else. Listen to other episodes. You know, check the socials for like the top five before maybe you genuinely try to commit to this podcast by listening to this episode. But listen, Mama is no quitter. I have contacted my Italian friends. It's one of those international cases. And I have jumbled up certain things. I have hit Google Translate. We'll get there. This might be just like a, you know, usual chat. Instead of a really, like, heavy, insane story that I hit you with that has, like, ton of information. So, hey, it's a light one. Welcome. Oh yeah, I stopped saying for about a month because I'm lost in translation, just lost in time. I'm your host, Maya. This is a podcast. It's by all means necessary. It's true crime and comedy. I really need to start saying that so the people don't just dive in and think like this is going to be some monotone boring thing, which you kind of can guess just listening to my voice. Okay, so the expression of the day, we're doing it again. So it's like the second expression of the year is actually in Italian. I know, listen, languages... We love each other. We love it. We have this special bond. Me and languages are like, 
coupling, they're doing it. My idioma is sitting on a tree. K-I-S-S-I-N-G. Okay, so for the expression of this week is... I love that that's on camera. <laughs> Off to a great start. If you're watching on YouTube, if you're not, join me there. <laughs> but if you are, like the whole background just got disheveled and the candle starting falling. It's very, it's fake candles. Luckily. <sighs> Luckily for me, it's not actually. Otherwise, this whole house would be on fire. That would have Britney's destiny. You would not have Britney's destiny if you were to burn this house down, okay? She's rich, you're not. Even though she's in conservatorship. So, as I was saying, <laughs> This expression actually ties with the whole story, so it's super important you listen to this part. Now, there are going to be timestamps. You can skip this part, but I would suggest you don't, because it's expressions. There are 52 expressions reached by the end of the year, and you stick to this part. So you know how in English people say dog eat dog? And I was like, mm, yeah, why? <laughs> it's, like, it's kind of like eye for an eye, and you're like, mm, but that's like painful and... You know, you can really seek revenge in other ways. So it's just wait for karma to get to people. But in Italian, that's not a thing. They say dog does not eat dog or cane non mangia carne, which I think really fits the Italian personality with the honor among thieves. And it truly means that there is a line that can't be crossed. And there's a code of conduct that even the most evil, the most sinister people will follow. And it fits into this story because, again, it's a story of corruption. It's a story of white-collar crime. And truly, that kind of defines that, well, a corrupt politician is not going to snitch on a less corrupt politician or somebody in their same rank because there's truly no benefit to it. And this expression, like so many, first turned up back, way, way back, centuries back, in 1515, which is a cool number. But then we all thought 2020 was a cool number. It's like visually pleasing and uh, what a shithole of a year it was. So 1515, could it have been greater than that? Probably not. So this guy called Desiderius Erasmus, and yes, if your first one is the same as mine, I looked it up. But this guy was one of the leading activists and thinkers of the European Renaissance. So it was Renaissance period, and then this guy was like just writing up and bullshitting a lot of things. Well, that's one way to like... This is how you describe me when I die, yeah? Repay me by like putting a freaking Wikipedia page. She was just bullshitting for things. Like she just wasn't really making sense anyways. So his main activity, I think this is Wikipedia, was to write letters to the leading statesmen, humanists, Printer. <laughs> yeah, it says printers. That's why I think it's Wikipedia, because it's mean people printing. Wow, people printing were called printers, like the machines today. Okay, wow. <laughs> Revelation, mind blown. Put it, put emoji on it. And theologians of the first three and a half decades of the 16th century. And he translated New Testament to Greek, so you know, he was like doing doing the bits. He was doing bits in, in 1515 as much as you could, really, surely. He was living his best life. So this is from his writing. One dog eateth not another. Ha, ah, this is gonna be brilliant. I love Shakespeare. I love this kind of writing. I love it. The lions, though they be fierce and cruel, yet they fight not among themselves. One dragon is in peace with another, and there is agreement among poisonous serpents. But unto men there is no wild or cruel beast more hurtful than man. So enough of this, Darius, and let's focus on his last name, because yes, the program, the exchange students program, is actually named after him. And it's named after him because he used to travel for work and study, and he used to travel to Europe, so to Paris, Cambridge, the UK, everywhere. And like the man, this is again from Erasmus' website, like the man, the Erasmus program places great importance on mobility and furthering career prospects through learning. 
And I truly love my scripts because sometimes there's no, I'm like, yeah, I don't know how to continue this. It's just, there's no lulling you into the story. The next line says, Prime Minister Bojo has announced that the UK will not continue to participate in or they will not be replacing the Erasmus schemes. Because this is, again, news. You see, everything ties together. This is why I was like, no, I need to proceed with this story. It's truly the story of the expression and the story of the Milan, but it all tied together. You will see it beautifully ties to the rest of the episode. So this was kind of in the news this week because of Brexit as well. And, well, they're going to introduce the new scheme that's going to be named after the mathematician Alan Turing. And also, I love his justification. It's like, no, the students are now not going to have the opportunity to go to European universities, but they'll have the opportunity to go to the best universities of the world. And you're like, what? Me, obviously, always looking for the positives. There is a positive here, and that is that if you move to Northern Ireland, you can still participate in the Erasmus program if you're a student. I think it's a good time to change unis and just go there. Because I know people that have participated really love this experience. And it's not just that, but to like put it into perspective. Where did I put this? <laughs> did I put it? I did that. <laughs> okay, there's no perspective. I'll jump in while I'm editing to give you the stats from the article. But yeah, there's thousands of people that have enjoyed the Erasmus screen both ways. So people coming to the UK and then other people going to Europe, mostly, the latter. So yeah, I didn't put that in. I was like, wow, that would have been a really great stat. And then something happened in my brain where it just switched and I forgot to do that part. <laughs> I said it would be a really great thing to put in. Here she comes with the numbers. So in 2017, over 16,000 UK students went abroad, while almost 32,000 EU nationals came to the UK for the exchange. So, is this a bad decision? Is this a bad decision? Am I the only one to see it? Okay, moving on. But going back to the dog-eat-dog -dog phrase, actually, people have said that this was just mistranslated and then now it is used as such, but... Ever since the Latin phrase canis canem non est, which is again dog does not eat dog, his his turn up. Ever since it was lit as a phrase, it was like, whoa, the expression of the day. It was supposed to be that. It was always supposed to mean that squandrels don't actually go against other squandrels against each other. However, now dog eat dog version is more accepted and it's often misquoted. And then this article gave me this whole ass game that's called Bully. So I had to Google it. I was like, wow, this looks like, you know, a bit, like, gives me nostalgic vibes of like ancient games and how we used to like play Mario at home. But yeah, they were one of the modern facilities, if I can say so. Like, yeah, one of the modern pastimes that have adopted the misquoted version. And I obviously had to look, what the hell is the name Bully about? <laughs> well, if it's in my brain, if it's something dumb and it's in my brain, it has to be in yours too. And Bully is about this mischievous schoolboy who stands up to bullies, gets picked up by teachers, plays pranks, wins or loses the girl, and ultimately learns to navigate the obstacles of the worst school around. And the school is called Bullworth Academy. It's like, no inspiration. Whoever created this game just tells me I don't want to play this game because why would you name it Bullworth? <laughs> Come on, give me something, some imagination. Like when I wrote the article Orgasm for Life and it wasn't about orgasms. Oh yeah. <laughs> Okay, how does this tie to the story? Let's talk about corruption in Italy. One missed opportunity from the last episode was that it didn't actually define corruption for anybody. So the simplest definition is that corruption is the abuse of public power for private benefit. However, when thinking about it 
usually corruption is not private. Like the most, the simplest thing, this is, you know, for kids. Like if your kids are listening, hey, gather around, let me describe corruption for you. And that is that moment when cops pull your car up, like, and are telling you basically, hey, you're speeding. This is like the most common thing back home. It's like, hey, you have been speeding, you know, you need to pay up. And you're like, well, you know, like, hey, here's, here's the money, like, go accept the money. Obviously, if the organization is not corrupt, then they would be like, no, you know, they might even, like, bring you to prison. But usually what happens is that if one cop is corrupt, the other one is. So it's never just, like, an individual thing where it's going to be, like, one person is corrupt, but the whole organization is actually clean. There are obviously bad apples, but it's not always necessarily for the private benefit. So it can be benefit for one's party, class, tribe, friends, family. So it's kind of, like, a large spectrum of it. And I find this so bizarre. I've read literally people's dissertations and they said this is from those. Hey, I read like four dissertations. Maybe they're not dissertations. I swear some of them are like official government documents. But let's call them dissertations. Everything over 100 words is a dissertation. <laughs> That's... Maya, you have studied. You can't actually say shit like this. Anyways, so there's vertical, which is more common. And this is interesting because this is either like patron client or it's identity-based, so it's like to do with kinship, with ethnicity, with religion, so you kind of feel like part of the tribe. Versus horizontal, which is like random citizen to citizen or just equal to equal. So there's usually like some personal attachment to it. And this is again from an official document, but politics are usually organized around big man syndrome, reflected in the high centralization of power and patron-client relations replicated through society. So I just love that they called it big man syndrome. It's like somebody from the streets is like, yeah, write this essay, write this dissertation on corruption. They're like, no way, no problem, no problem, I got you. There's this big man. I'm just going to replicate the street lingo in this essay. Say no more, sir, top grades, top of the class. And having in mind it's personal, what are the factors that facilitate corruption? So it's usually different factors, and it's like a mix of the economic, of the cultural, of the administrative, social factors of the government. And as I mentioned, it's not simply individual. So it goes beyond the private in order to include broader interests and benefits within political systems. And corruption is likely to thrive in conditions where accountability is weak and people have too much discretion. And because it is so entrenched, so immersed in the organizational, or just the politics, or the culture, or the mentality of the country, it is so hard to tackle. And that's mostly because there's no benefit to the people that are usually on top, that are conspiring and are corrupt themselves, to eradicate it, because they're the ones benefiting from it. So they are making other institutions, well, institutionalized and corrupt because that's what benefits them. This article states that supreme audit institutions are the, well, the viable solution to it, meaning there should be an organization auditing all these organizations in power or anybody that is considered corrupt. This is kind of that thing, like even when I was doing like auditing in customer service and the place you to like to do it, you are a bit more biased, even though you are like, well, a third party that just came in to do this, you're kind of more biased to people that are doing okay or like working similar to you as much as you can't be or don't want to be. So again, this really needs to be completely third party because when I was working within a team and auditing somebody, I was like, okay, cool, I need to be impartial. But even the way, you know, you lend like your conclusions or like what you found like to somebody is different when you work similarly to somebody or like they are just better 
at their job compared to somebody that just isn't doing well and you're just like, well, next time is there going to be a lot more improvement? And by looking at this heat map, Italy is at the 51st place in the ranks, so they're kind of like in the middle, you know, they're not as highly corrupt as certain countries, but it might be that it's just well covered up. Like, this story is so frustrating, but I can't help but think that if myself and my limited Italian language skills and just translating things, but also, you know, my friend from Italy, like, if we couldn't figure out the ending of the story that they don't want us to figure out the ending of the story. Now that you know a little bit about corruption, what about Lotto in Italy? Is it popular? Was it popular? How is it played? We're gonna play some videos. It's gonna be great. So it is still hugely popular in gambling mad Italy, according to this article. And it's popular ever since it was introduced in the 16th century Genoa when people were actually betting on the names of the five senators to be elected to hold office. So it's kind of rooted in politics to begin with. And the modern lotto is still based on picking five numbers and is held twice weekly in the ten major Italian cities. So at the time of this event it was called Analotto and it existed since 1950s. But right around this time, it was modified to Super Enolotto. We'll speak about how it was played when this case took effect. But right now, if you were to play Lotto in Italy, the draws would take place on Tuesdays, Thursdays and Saturdays at 8pm. Their time. Italian time. Italian time zone. Did you care? Did you care? I truly love Google translations because players are required to pick six numbers with a jolly number that's also drawn from the remaining 84 balls. And that's like the bonus ball in the UK lot. It's not called bonus ball in the UK, but sure. And like in Serbia, it's funded by buying tickets from retailers or just buying tickets online. And from everything I've seen, it is kind of played the way that Lotto is played. Like in Serbia, there's like a whole drum now and there's like a pretty lady that's like taking the bulls out and is reading them all out. It's all nice and grown, which will make sense once I compare it back to the 90s. And fun fact from the New York Times, Italians spend on average 7.8 million a day on Super and Lotto tickets. So that's enough to like, well, fund the whole freaking system. And as the same articles from the New York Times, so you know it's like some diligent work, that they have interviewed actually psychiatrists, psychologists for all of this. They have raised concerns and they even went to like Roman Catholic Church to kind of like raise, spread awareness on how dangerous gambling is when they kind of had a stats and they were like, what the fuck are people spending this money for on lottery? Then Father Alberto de Urso warned people and told them we can't ignore the fact that thousands of people find themselves in trouble. When gambling becomes pathological, it's not a game anymore. And then this psychotherapist said, gambling takes advantage of weak people. And that is his only quote in this article. Which I'm like, really? You couldn't have had me expand? This is like the New York Times. And this guy was like literally just called up. He was like, hey, sir. And you just talk about the disadvantages of gambling. He was like, it's for the weak people. They're like, say no more. This is a one-liner kind of thing. We're including this and nothing else. And you're like, uh, What? <laughs> It's like this podcast, it's like, no, just this is when it stops. This next line doesn't attach the rest of the script. It just doesn't. <laughs> They're like, but I was like, okay, this is New York Times, though, okay. Am I working for the New York Times? Lower your fucking expectations <laughs> from this episode. Listen, I'm gonna emphasize now in every episode where you can raise your expectations and where you should lower them. Yeah, <laughs> that's gonna bring the listens, Maya. Yeah, if nothing, that's gonna bring them listens. <laughs> 
Oh, no, no, no. Okay, this psychiatrist, his name is Ronaldo De Luca. Okay, he gave a bit more on that phone call. He said, he compared gambling to cook to my favorite word, cocaine. He compared gambling to cocaine, 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 cocaine. Say, yeah, you can, accept, you can fucking make the accent. You can do the accent. Cocaine addiction centers run by the Medellin cartel. And he said that money made from gambling brought little to the economy. Okay, there's another quote. He gave two quotes. Two, two fucking quotes, okay? This guy had the shortest phone call in history. Tell us. Tell us, Ronaldo. You aren't spreading your wealth around or boosting employment if you're just buying lottery tickets. <laughs> Literally. This reminds me of, like, you know, the, the street journalists. <laughs> it's just really the funniest. Especially back home, because people just love being on camera and really just include it. You know, when you just pass the microphone onto somebody in the streets and you're, like, just doing a random survey, then that person just gives you a one line, doesn't answer the question, just tells you to go fuck yourself. And you're like, oh, okay, this seems like something, yes, I'm gonna include in this. Because, hey, it's tape. This is all truly like this podcast. Everything is included. Nothing is editing out. There are no bloopers. I mean, like 90% of it is bloopers, but there are no bloopers. We are almost coming to the non-existent meat of the case. So at the time, what's important for you to know, each Italian city held its own lottery. And the way that it was played is, we're going to watch a video in a second, but the way it was played was that Milan put all of their lottery numbers on silver balls and then they used the blindfolded children. Do you understand why I'm doing this case? Do you understand? Just like with Luigi Longhi, there's always something with Italians where I was like, okay, this is a single fact. I will make a story out. If I need to make up a story, I will. There are blindfolded children that are presented with this basket of balls. And then, of course, of course, we're going to come to that. But they take a ball out and they pass it on to like the judges. And then the judge is like, okay, this is the first ball. This is the next one. They're blindfolded. Definitely, this is the foolproof process we have invented. Can't be nothing wrong with it. It is at random. It's a random trial. It's definitely not my cousin right there that you see. That blindfold, definitely foolproof. You can't fool it. The balls, no, no, no. We just, I mean, we haven't done anything to the balls. So what have they done to the balls? <laughs> they made them blue. The joke presented itself and I took it. <laughs> Let's do the intro. Let's do the intro. In the summer of 1999... The plan by the officials to use blindfolded children to rig a lottery by all means necessary was uncovered. The scam might have gone on for 17 years, benefiting the 13 families involved. What were their motives? Composition, definition. If you see, if you're watching this on YouTube, you can see that I'm drinking some genius. This is truly lazy. People are gonna rule the world. Look what I'm telling you. This guy mixed Jack Daniels and cola like like mixer in a can. I found gin and tonic this way, and I was just like, wow, truly. I mean, why would you bother with the right balance of the booze and the mixer? Why would you when somebody else could do it for you? Listen, lazy people fucking make some money, some serious money, out of something you could have probably done cheaper. Okay, the case. Before we dive into the case, random questions just popped into my head. Does anybody use the gender Snapchat filters? 
because you know like i have those moments where i'm like oh i wish i was a guy for a day and like you know have a dick and like short hair and don't have to care about (laughs) does it look decent or not and it's not all like in my face constantly but then whenever i use the snapchat filter i look so much like my brother that i freak myself out except the nose i have bigger nose (laughs) Anybody I know and anybody in my family. <laughs> Every single time I just freak myself out. Does anybody else do that? Okay, let's actually dive into this case and be telling you what people are doing with these balls. So this week you are Mrs. Loretta Torres and you are the wife of Mr. Giuseppe Diabolic Aliberti. His nickname is Diabolic, not his middle name, which I just find to be, again, why this story must be told. I don't have anything against Diabolic as your nickname. But this guy, at the time, ran lottery in Milan. You know how I told you, like, it was separate lottery in different cities. And clearly went around representing himself as Giuseppe Diabolic Alberti, as a freaking official in some power, in some sorts of power. And you're like, okay, no, 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 this is gonna stick. This is how I want to be remembered by so the police was actually honing on for quite some time and they had created this thing where they were listening in on everybody's conversations. So obviously they were suspecting the rig in Milan and they were listening into the whole of like the family conversation for the Alberti family. And they hear this death threat on the phone. Every day you'll take a little walk, lady, all the way to the cemetery to visit your dead children. So you, as Loretta, go to the police and you're like, okay, listen, this is not a joke anymore. I truly like don't care because that, at that point somebody is threatening your children. So you were like, I'm left with literally nothing else to do. Like somebody actually fired a gun at his car and then went and like threatened the relatives' businesses. So she was like really frightened for her life and then the life of those children as well. So now let's leave it here and backdate a bit. Truly, everything here, <laughs> every little plot is going to take a minute. So we're backdating here to how Mr. Alberti actually got engaged in this business. Well, in 1993, he was running the lottery booth in Milan and he kind of became suspicious of his regular client, whose name was Mr. Attilio Olmi. And he noticed that Olmi and all of his friends had kind of like amazing success rate at lotteries. And he was like, okay, how are you winning all the fucking time. So all may have honed him in on how they were manipulating the draw every time, and obviously by the end of the year, because if you are corrupt yourself or like are in that institution that is corrupt, you're not gonna snitch. You're like, well, I can profit out of this, so that's how they get you, and there's just more and more people. So by the end of that year, he applied for and he got a job at Intendenza de Finanza, so like the money people. And that's the organization that, among other things, it says, organized the twice-weekly lotto draw. And soon enough, Loretta, your husband is out there <laughs> greasing up these balls and not in a dirty way. What would a dirty way of greasing up your balls be, Maya? That would be a really particular fetish. Oh, the good old fetish word. Okay. <laughs> Here for this rig to be successful, he had to commit to two parts. One of them was tutoring the children. So he was like, listen, somebody else has to put a blindfold on you because otherwise it will be suspicious. Like, we'll make sure the blindfolds are made in such a way that you can peek through them or that somebody puts them on and you peek under them. But if none of this is possible, if they're bringing in somebody impartial, don't worry about it. When you put your hand inside this, this is how you're going to spot the balls. And then the second part of the business was ensuring that these balls stand out. So either they were in different color, but obviously that wouldn't be enough. 
So certain ones are either sticky or they would heat them or they would make them super cold. Like they were children, they were getting like burnt or like their hands fucking frozen by these bulls. This is when I'm like, okay, there's one thing to, you know, rig a whole lottery and then there's another thing where you're kind of endangering the children that are taking the bulls out. So it's truly everything you can think of. So somebody greasing the bulls, like making them hot, making them cold. Anything that would ensure that it would be different to touch. Because they couldn't really rely just on their blindfolds. And obviously not every drove was rigged, because that would be too suspicious if they just like every time somebody was just to win huge amounts. But there were enough that people have picked up on it after years. So since the start of the inquiry, and since the investigators picked up on this, they actually froze 5.2 million from the bank accounts on everybody involved. The important thing that I didn't mention yet is that obviously these kids were a family. There were other children or cousins of anybody involved. So this was tax people in on it, judges, anybody that was within that lottery, because obviously it had to be organizational as well, otherwise somebody might snitch. And there are different, like, very limited sources, as I told you, because this is quite literally it to the case. There are two different versions of how this was discovered. One which I think like was more plausible included Loretta and it's more dramatic like and cool to the start. I told you I'm gonna invent most of this story. And the second one was that the police got the informer's letter where they named Alberti as the main conspirator, which again I think it might have been Loretta trying to like save her family herself. But it all ended in the same way and that's that they started actually monitoring the calls, they have heard the threats and have actually heard both Sicilian and Pugliese accents that were on the phone making threats to Signora Alberti and asking for the slice of the action and for the winning numbers themselves because they were like, well, we know it's happening now, we are threatening you and you might as well comply. We want a part of this now, you have been scamming for years. And again, different sources say different things. I read that 9 were arrested, or I read in different sources that 13 were arrested. But 6 of those people have actually had connections to the organized crime families in Puglia. Just to show how this looks in action, let's watch this um, YouTube video of how this actually looks like. Look, just, just look at the beginning of it. It's already promising. I love old videos. Why does she... It just doesn't look culturally appropriate. Wow, okay, everything is happening. This reminds me so much of back home. This is literally like every singing show back home. Okay, okay. What is she doing? Who do? How did they find this girl? This girl is so uncomfortable. Okay, let's speed this up. Let's speed this up. Cool. <laughs> now we're back to the table. Like, just how corporate and how dead this looks. That this was a lottery at some point. This kid is like, yeah, I'm totally fine. It's cool. He's like, so happy to be here. Please blindfold me. That's completely normal. They put this. And this gives me, like, the Unabomber mask vibes. He just likes, like, the eyes openings. Okay, now they roll it. I mean, he definitely can't figure it out, can he? This is the one video I could find. I couldn't, like, find, like, the exact one. So I don't know if this guy was scamming here. But hey, he takes a ball. He brings it out, and then he gives it to another impartial judge that looks super happy to be here. <laughs> Love how it looks like fucking North Korean officials at the back of them. So a few things really to pay attention to. Well, that Unamober mask that I mentioned, which in this case kind of makes me think like it allows those kids to see beneath it, to see into the drum, but also just the whole concept of them giving the ball that, again, you don't see them zoom in on the balls. You see them zooming in on the kid, on the drum, be like, yeah, totally impartial, everything. You don't see them zooming in on the balls for us to see what do they look like 
And are they greasy? Are they what? Like, are they in any way damaged? And then it's not the ball that has the number. It's you have to open it like it's a freaking snitch. <laughs> or it's a freaking Pokemon ball and a Pokemon comes out. This third judge shows up the number. They're like, yeah, everything is legit here. Whereas nobody is focusing on what is causing the scam and causing the rig, which is that little ball. <sighs> it's always the balls. So sensitive. <laughs> Through history, they have been sensitive to touch, to fire, to water, to oil. Yes, I'm definitely talking about lottery balls here. Can't do anything about it. And in one of those articles, I have found that these balls could be actually seen. They put like a varnish that could actually be seen even like through the dark, even through the blindfolds. So even if they can't actually, you know, see underneath it, they'd still be able to focus on the ball. Which makes me think like, why are... This ball is not, like, glistening. I mean, maybe, yeah, this is not Rig Lotter broadcast that we are watching right now. But surely it just goes to show that everybody was in on it, even probably from the cameraman, because they're focusing on her face, they're focusing on the child, they're focusing on the drum, on the number on the table. The only thing they're not zooming in on here are these lottery balls. In the aftermath, at first they thought, like, at least this scandal was happening between 95 and 99, but it could have gone for on for 17 years. Like, they couldn't even figure out, like, how far it was going because they were going so smoothly and it just didn't, it didn't happen often enough for people to suspect anything. And, well, at the time of writing this article, they have actually believed that some form of rig lotto had been going on since 1982. The police arrested three of the tax inspectors, and the other six people that they have arrested, they suspect to have belonged to a gang of criminals in the southern city of Bari. And when they arrested Giuseppe Diabolic, he was 58 years old, he just, and he was trying, obviously, to play that card. So he said, I'm a broken man who got caught up in a game that was much bigger than me. But then you never exited that game for about a couple of years, <laughs> so I don't feel sorry for you. you. had your options. You just chose the game that paid Diabolic. And he said that this became only as a small scam between family and friends, but it got overtaken by the organized crime, which, yes, that's what happens in your scam. This is why you live on the good side. He said he is a victim and he is ready to give back part of his money, of course. <laughs> Not all of it. Which kind of makes me think like this has led to the bribe and I'll tell you why. I love that I found this gem because it truly just explains what the kids were going through. When they started investigating this, they had to investigate the children and to, you know, what degree they were involved. And there was this child who was, I think, the daughter of a police officer, actually, who was involved and who Diabolic trained. And she said that it was complicated getting the right ball. Sometimes I couldn't recognize the lighter ones amongst all the others. And she said she felt like a failure when the draw was over, and some children were better, and then they were rewarded with millions of lira, three or four million. Whereas she felt like, you know, there were some that were a failure and that they really felt like this is bigger than them, that she had to perform right because, well, she's trained and the whole family apparently depends on it. It's truly like so much pressure on these kids and the outcome truly depends on them. That's again what nobody thinks about when it comes to covering cases like this. This is again why this case interested me so much and what nobody thinks about how insane it is, how much pressure they're putting on the kids and they're involving kids from the get-go. I mean, like, what is the chance that that child is going to raise up and be like, well, this is not how the system works. And it's going to be like, ah, listen, I'm like a good, honest man. I'm on the good side of the system here. No, they've been like, rigging a lottery since the age of seven like what other life are they gonna know 
And actually, you read the aftermath of it, obviously the publicity of it was raised, and 20% more people tuned in to the next lottery once they were investigating this. And I just included this because, again, it's so irrelevant and so relevant, this Umberto Rosa guy, who was a bricklayer, could you have found better interviewees in 1999 La Repubblica that might contribute to this article? Most probably, but hey bricklayer it is literally passing by on the street there's a this guy laying bricks they're like come here sir what do you think about this ring <laughs> literally it's again the only quote in this article he says ah sure we've always known that the lotto was fixed he also noted that ah sure was like some italian exclamation <laughs> like when people try to translate ah so from german you're like you cannot translate ah so ah so is untranslatable he said, when you go to the races, it isn't always the fastest horse that wins, but often the one the jockeys decide should win. But all the same, it's still good fun. <laughs> okay. It's like, that's your opinion? That is the view you're driving with this article? Like, it's just fun. It's fine. Any form of gambling is rigged and the bricklayer loves it. <laughs> so the public will love it too. And money-wise, they might have actually weaseled out $174 million. And the part that pisses me off that I couldn't find was, the moment of this article's release, 9 or 13 people were arrested, but what me or my friend couldn't find was any articles being like, hey, prison, sentence, how long did they serve, what happened after this? Because I know the lottery has changed, and now there is like a whole drama, there's no blindfolded children. Great, amazing, but did anybody suffer the consequences? That's the part. Listen, if you're Italian and you have researched lottery somewhere there, you have archives, or you visit the library, you go during quarantine, you're like, listen, this is my passion. Hit me up, podbam.gmail.com or thatbampod on all the socials. But most probably it has died out, which makes me think, why has it died out? Why don't you want us to know? Have any of these people suffered any consequences or have they just gotten away with it? I know they have frozen money in their accounts, but like, did they un unfreeze that? Or, you know, maybe something super obvious, like, hey, you do a bit of a transfer of that money to my account has happened and we are gonna make this disappear. Because that's the vibes this whole case is giving me. And now you will be happy, Italians, that to regain confidence, your authorities have switched to a computer system which draws random numbers automatically. Which uh, I didn't look into any other rigs in Italy, but probably it leads to the same kind of rigs that are still possible, but people would just blame it on the software like they did in last week's case. What motivated people to this degree that they were actually including their own children, other people's children? Well, it will come as no surprise, but yes, a share probably here the opinion of the most people, and that was the monetary gain, the economic development. And I'm not gonna repeat stuff from the last video, kind of research more into like why corruption happens because it is so enrooted in Italy, versus last week when I researched more on white collar crime and the distancing and how that helps be unethical and how it is organization-based and how it depends like on the whole company and the whole country to be in on it. But here we have to kind of think about the economic development and the huge discrepancies that Italy is one of many countries where people are either ridiculously rich and corrupt and they work in politics and they work in government, or they are really on the other end of the spectrum and they're poor. And then what is left for you? Like, once the opportunity comes around, you're like, yeah, I'm gonna jump on that train, because otherwise, how the hell am I gonna get out of this state? So low levels of income create structural incentives for corrupt ways of increasing income. 
So, for example, citizens of rich societies would not tolerate corruption because they are aware of their rights and they react forcefully to corruption-prone activities. However, in the countries where income is low, the average citizen receives minimal wealth. So, for them, this is kind of essential because it's the marginal supplement to the income. It's literally survival, so they're going to jump in on it. And in this case, unfortunately, as wrong as that is morally jump their whole family on that same train. And what we often don't think about, the corruption has to outweigh the cost. So yes, if they were to be caught, like they might serve jail time, but in the corrupt countries, that might not be the truth as well. Again, here, if they have actually scammed even for two, three years, still, they could have bribed then the officials, and then the cycle continues, and nobody goes to jail, there's no benefits, and they don't have to pay the price. But then why I included the bricklayer's quote? <laughs> or who was it? No, it was... No, it was that psychiatrist. <laughs> it's like the bricklayer giving the quote of the fucking episode. No, it was that psychologist being like, hey, gambling is an addiction. And we're like, yeah, we all know. But another motivation, like from this dissertation that I have read, said that the contagious nature of corruption is often neglected. And what it truly means is that even if you worked in Europe, you might notice that corruption is different from place to place. And that is, again, due to their culture, but it's also due to the economic development, which also varies country to country. It's also judicial law and how countries are run and who is involved where. And then the lack of transparency. Unless an impartial audit is done by somebody else, we wouldn't even have the stats that we have, like stuff like that corruption perception index or any other insight into corruption in any of these countries. But yes, here I definitely think it is just monetary and it could be like the diabolic dude said that it just started off as a small scam. They were like, yeah, hey, my whole family can benefit from this. And then they might not have known on what level they're getting involved. Or again, they might have, and they were just like, well, it outweighs the cost. Because if I don't do this, maybe I can't put the bread on the table for my whole family. And if I do, I might be benefiting myself and benefiting 13 other families. And you're like, well, when you put it that way, it's like, I'm poor and other people are poor, or 13 people are filthy rich and might get away with it. But yeah, that's truly the story. That's, that's the case. <laughs> Did I make it? Did it have beginning, middle, and end? But this one, unlike Luigi Longhi, definitely happened. No, no, no Luigi Longhi definitely happened. <laughs> I believe in that story. In the fucking shampoo killer. More than I believe in my faith. Okay. <laughs> Bold statements. But now, look at the time. You're going into your next Zoom call. Listen, something that slightly ties to this story, but mostly things my fucking mind... It's because a lot of people have died, right? <laughs> Talk about death every fucking time. A lot of people have died during 2020 or just in general. They're like famous and that you then watch and like, ah, that person was like really this for me. And they understand if they're celebrities that you can't do this. But if I'm to remember by one thing, that is to appreciate people slash me slash others while they're alive. Like, tell them what their work meant to you while they were alive. Tell them about the legacy they're about to leave behind again while they're doing the stuff that's making that legacy it. So, yeah, you go into the next Zoom call and you, you spread that thing. Because trust me, if I was to die and suddenly this podcast was to pick up after my death and you'd be like, oh my gosh, she would be so proud this podcast would pick up. Uh-uh. No, uh no. I would not. I would be proud if this was to pick up while I'm alive. 
It's like when I'm dead, I don't know what happens in death. Nobody came back to tell me what happens. So I don't know if I'm passing on and watching you all like enjoy it or, you know, if I'm dead and I have no fucking clue. So now maybe I wouldn't be proud. Maybe I'd be like, uh, hello, why didn't you appreciate me while I was alive? So you go into your next Zoom call. You spread that energy all over. You sprinkle it like the salt bay all over your co-workers. You're like, listen, this is what I'm doing appreciate me now this is how i'm doing well at this job give me a shout out right now don't fucking appreciate me when i'm dead or gone from the company it's like oh we miss her like she was such a good worker did you ever tell me that while i was actually at this company oh what what am i gonna do with that information now go fuck yourselves okay but while you do that you make sure that what you enjoy this monday yeah because it's 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 another monday it's another day that you are breathing and appreciating your own fucking work and other people shoot you and in the meantime until the next one you keep making this world truly honestly a better place one motive at a time bye fuckers good bye